Chapter 9, Mission Log, Day 1. The first six hours of the blood mission went exactly according to plan. We left the outside at midnight in two vehicles, Zale, Gunner, and Fairchild in one vehicle, and Buckley and me in the other. Monitors have poor eyesight, so they require as much light possible for hunting prey. Mid-afternoon is feeding time for the hungry ones. After they eat, they lay in the sun lazily as their enormous dinners digest. Our objective was to travel only at night and have a safety perimeter set up prior to sunrise. We traveled for six hours without any stops to, our far, to the far side of the city formerly known as Chicago. Travel was slow because of the overgrown vegetation and debris on the roadways. A majority of the trip was made off-road for this reason. My brain had gone nearly numb from the shallow conversations Buckley insisted on having with me. He passed the time by talking in circles about his past experiences hunting and his previous relationship with Fairchild, which confirmed my fear for tasting men. Pretty much anything that crossed Buckley's mind became fair game for conversation as he drove us to our destination. To keep the peace, I chose to tolerate him. I never shared any details about my life, but Buckley didn't seem to mind. In fact, I'm not even sure if he noticed. I got the feeling that he was talking more to himself than me anyway. I was so desperate for something to do, I searched my satchel to sim stimulate my mind. Upon opening it, I came across an unexpected gift. I instantly knew who had put it there and why, and I was grateful. I opened the black book and flipped through the pages. The wafting smell of Isla and now Seth filled my nostrils. Isla's Bible. I found Isla's picture of us tucked into the front cover, and I welcomed the image of her. I wondered if she missed it or knew who had taken it from her bed and if she resented its absence. It occurred to me that since it occurred to me that she may have found consolation in it the way Seth did, and if she did, what had she done to find the peace it provided her? This thought saddened me. I dwelled on that thought for a while. I hadn't allowed myself the pain of thinking what her life was like there in the ambit without me. In the hours after my banishment, I was convinced that she would be happier without me there with her. But upon finding her Bible in Seth's possession, the picture, and the passage she had highlighted in the book of Romans, I felt like I couldn't fairly assume her thoughts at all. As Buckley jabbered on and on, I stared out the window and thought of my father. My father was now the caregiver for my only other surviving blood family member. I had no feasible choice other than to believe my father was caring for her properly. I replayed over and over the words he yelled to me as I was leaving the schoolhouse the last day I saw him. I couldn't remember it all, but I remembered two things for sure. My father had said that James knew something he couldn't tell me because I wasn't ready to hear it. He also said he knew about my conversation with James the night before he left on his last trip to the outside. Those two thoughts had haunted me for months. I hated the fact that I was no closer to understanding what he meant today than I was the day I heard them for the first time. In my frustration with tapping the memories I'd tried so hard to conceal, I made the conscious decision to stop thinking about it. I looked to the book lying in my lap, and again, I flipped the pages. To relieve my mind from the painful sting of the thoughts and memories, I decided to bury myself in the words on the book's pages. I started with the first page in a book called Genesis. It read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God was the creator in the story. As I read, I did not fully understand what it meant, but welcomed the escape it provided me. 
I found myself both consumed and confused by it. There were many words that I'd never heard before and didn't understand. I wondered how Seth had felt so connected to it. I couldn't tell for sure if it was supposed to be factual or fictional. I had a hard time believing that there was a snake that spoke to a woman named Eve and convinced her to eat an apple from the tree of good and evil, and that God had banished her and Adam from the Garden of Eden, just as I had been banished from the ambit. That didn't seem fair to me, and it put a bad taste in my mouth, but if someone had told me that only 30 years ago everyone drove cars and flew on planes, I'm not sure I would have believed that either. Yet, I knew that was true. The jolt of the stopping vehicle was the only thing that broke my concentration on the book. My body shifted into, into defense mode, and I instantly recalled where I was. Buckley had already unbuckled his safety belt and hopped out of the car. The second vehicle was stopped in front of us. Vale and Gunner didn't hesitate either. They were already out of the doors. Gunner cautiously scanned the surrounding area through the crosshairs of his gun scope. I kept my eyes on Vale. He was on the opposite side of the vehicle from Gunner, waiting for clearance to move forward. Buckley did the same. I felt my hand go to my hip where I'd holstered a handgun. I hadn't been paying enough attention to know if we were in danger or if we were at our destination. Gunner motioned to Zale and then Zale to Buckley. Buckley called out, Clear over here! Zale turned to look at me through the windshield and nodded. We'd reached our destination. We took the next hour to secure our perimeter. Fairchild and I strung up two large hammocks from the highest branches of the trees to camel camouflage us for sleeping. We were taking a nocturnal approach to our mission, sleep during the day, hunt during the night. While we slept, Buckley and Gunner took four-hour shifts to keep watch. We didn't start a fire because we weren't sure if there were monitors anywhere nearby and certainly didn't want to chime any sort of dinner bell for them. Instead, we ate from our vacuum-packed dinner pouches and drank as much water as we could to get hydrated for the inevitably tiring night to follow. Both Gunner and Buckley refilled their gas tanks with the gas cans we'd brought with us. Considering that we may need to make a quick get getaway at any point, I thought this was a good plan. As we settled into our hammocks for sleep, my feet and hands felt like ice. I was shivering uncontrollably. I buried my hands between my thighs in the hopes of heating them. It was chilly, but my discomfort had more to do with my nerves than anything. Even though it was the end of summer, it was always coldest before the sun dawned. I did my best to cocoon into my blanket, but the holes in the hammock below me allowed every draft to cool my underside, defeating the entire purpose of the blanket. Zale and Fairchild shared the other hammock. I could hear them whispering and joking. Figured they must have bonded over the Fratello journey. I lost some respect for her flushness with him, we giggled every two seconds at whatever he was jabbering on about. I couldn't make out exactly what they were saying, but I could tell by the, by the tone that he was flirting with her. I thought she was smarter than that, but then again, I too had fallen under his spell a time or two. Are you cold? I heard Zale ask her. Yeah, a little, she gushed. Okay, I'll be right back. He jumped up and reached over to my hammock to pull a second blanket off of my feet, and then he returned and covered her with it. Is that better? he asked. Much better, thanks. You're sweet, she replied coyly. I did not find that to be sweet at all. In fact, I thought it was disgusting. That was my blanket. I felt reprieve from my chill because my blood boiled with anger towards Zale and his newest little bird. Just then, just when I didn't think it could get any more frustrating, the hammock behind me began to rock and sway gently. I cursed the thought that entered my head. 
I wished for a moment that the giggling and flirting had continued because now they were too quiet. It was, I was not going to just lie there as Vale was making out with Fairchild behind me. I would rather take my chances below with Gunner and Buffy than be near the two lovebirds. I puffed an obviously frustrated breath and sat up to remove myself from the situation when I realized the movement was actually Vale transferring from her hammock to mine. I figured you were cold too, she said quietly. Oh. We didn't have any more blankets, though, he whispered in my ear as he slid under my blanket and layered my body with his. Hope you don't mind. I didn't mind at all. He spooned me, and I was warm. I wondered what he meant by this action, and it excited me. Vale reminded me that I was human and female. Under the blanket, I felt his hand slide onto my hip. I could feel his breath on the back of my neck. I took a deep breath to compose myself when the scent filled me. I put my hand on his and rolled over, moving our hands between our chests, still clenching his and mine. We were now face to face, and I found myself looking at him, blinking slowly, breathing softly. I didn't think this was just a kind gesture. In fact, I was sure it wasn't. Everything in the air between us told me that it wasn't. He chose my hammock. To warm her, he gave her a blanket. To warm me, he gave me his body. He cared for me. I whispered to him, I knew you were in there somewhere. And with that, he fell asleep. A hand covered my mouth. I gasped with fear as, I, as it woke me. I struggled against the hand, holding me down, trying to catch my bearings from my slumber. My eyes were open, but for a moment I'd forgotten where I was, and it wasn't until I found my face pressed firmly against the hammock netting under me and I saw the monitor below me that I lurched with panic. Vale's voice whispered from behind me. My mind was used to know that he was the one holding me down and covering my mouth to keep me silent. I lifted my face from the hammock netting and turned to look at Vale, who was lying next to me on his side. He looked out of the corner of his eye at the ground. Below me... The large monitor slowly paced the ground, only 30 to 40 feet away, but hadn't noticed us yet. His long, skinny tongue stretched out to taste the air around him. I wondered if he could sense us. I thought of how Zale smelled to me and how his scent filled me as I slept next to him. I wondered if the monitor could smell him too, or me, or the others. For a second, protective nature kicked in and I felt jealous of the monitor. What if it, too, had smelled Zale and wished to ruin him because of it? I felt defensive of Zale and his scent, but I wanted all to myself. The daylight was fading, but the pink glow of sunset was enough light to allow us a chilling view of the hunter below circling the tree's trunk, tasting the air and feeling for vibrations on the ground. I slowed my breathing. Zale released his hold on my mouth. We didn't move. I couldn't take my eyes off the monitor. If it spotted us in the tree, it shouldn't be able to get to us, but they were unpredictable. We never really knew for sure what we were in for. From the bird's eye view, I saw it scaled back as it slithered around. I barely blinked as I studied each of its features, trying to memorize them. The head and neck were long like that of an alligator. He had one eye on each side of his face. Some people even believed that monitors couldn't see directly in front of them. As he searched, he wiggled from side to side to scan the area visually. I knew his eyesight wouldn't be enough to detect us. Its strongest scent was its sense of smell, through, through tasting like a snake. The trunk of his body was covered with hard gray scales that created a sort of armor. 
His legs were longer than that of the other reptilian monsters. While I couldn't see his massive claws from this vantage point, I knew that they were individually the size of a child's finger. Each claw was attached to a solid, thick foot that he used to dig and push debris aside as he thoroughly examined the area around the base of the trees. His hind legs were thick and muscular, which explained how he could jump so high. The monitor must have picked up on something in the air because all of a sudden he shifted his weight back to his hind legs and propped up on his tail end. I held my breath again. He leaned on the tree with his two front feet, and using his claws he scratched at the tree bark. His long, forked tongue licked the bark to, to, he scratched to expose. He was thoroughly processing the area. He held perfectly still. I hoped that the hammock nest blended in with the foliage of the tree. In an instant, the monitor dropped to his, his two front feet back to the ground and turned his head as though he heard something. He listened carefully, and with a burst of energy, he bolted away from the tree. Monitors could run faster than what seemed physically possible. For the first time in moments, I took a deep breath. The monitor was gone. We gotta move, Dale said as he rocked the hammock with his hurried movements. He quickly strapped on his boots, wadded up his blankets, and put them in his bag. I searched his face for some sort of indication of what to do. I was dazed. I started to put my boots on and tie them up, but my fingers fumbled. The blood was still rushing through my body, and my fight-or-flight mode must have taken the blood from my brain. After getting my shoes on, I got onto my knees and looked across to check on Fairchild, but her hammock was empty. I immediately thought of Gunner and Buckley. Where are they? Fairchild? I exclaimed. Where's Fairchild? Down there. Dale quickly checked the clip on his gun to make sure it was fully loaded. Let's go. He threw the satchel over his shoulder and started cautiously climbing down the trunk of the tree. Down where? I followed his lead down the tree. Dale scanned the area below our tree with his gun before he dropped his feet down to the ground. I shimmied down behind him, taking note of the horrific depth that the monitor had dug into the tree trunk just a few minutes prior. I stepped down lightly next to Zale and removed my handgun from the holster I'd just strapped to my hip. This way, he whispered, and gestured for me to stick close. I followed him to the vehicle, both of which were still parked where we'd left them. Zale leaned into the back of the vehicle and grabbed a second pump-action shotgun, which he checked for ammo and then handed to me. He pulled a long, dark green metal case up onto the hood of the car, flipped the locks on it, and pulled the lid open. I watched him with one eye and kept watch for, for more monitors with the other. Upon opening the case, a variety of explosives came into view. Zale grabbed a couple of grenades and tucked them into his pockets on his belt. He handed two of them to me. I followed suit. I don't understand. Where'd they go? I asked trying not to panic. Gunner and Buckley went with Fairchild. She had to pee. We were sleeping, so I told him to go without us. He continued to strap extra weapons to his body. Which way did they go? How far do you think they are? They went that way, Zell said, looking in the same direction the monitor had bolted. Hopefully they aren't what called our little friend away. Just then, a shot rang out from the distance not too far away. A man's voice yelled, and then a huge explosion lit up the pink sky. Come on! Zell jumped into the seat of the vehicle. I ran around the other side and hopped in. He had already started it up, and with a mighty blow to the gas pedal, we zoomed in the direction of the explosion. Gunfire filled the air as we approached. The element of surprise was, was one of our best defenses, and we had to use it to our advantage, even if it meant not being able to offer support to the others immediately. Zale parked the vehicle behind the remains of an old building, jumped out, and scanned the area, and then nodded to me. I climbed out of the vehicle, holstering my handgun at my hip once again. I opted to use the shotgun, if necessary. It had more stopping power. 
Before moving away from the vehicle, Vale turned to me and warned me, Brit, I swear if you don't stick with me, I'll kill you myself. Stay on my tail. I totally agreed with this notion, and so I nodded. We crept slowly up on the rocks and rubble that shielded our vehicle from sight. As we broached the top of the rubble pile to examine what was on the other side, a hunting call rang out. Seriously, Vale moaned, we've got to move fast. Below us, we could see three monitors had surrounded two of our crew. Fairchild and Gunner had taken a stand on top of a pile of cement blocks, which probably belonged to a building just moments ago. The monitors circled around them like sharks. Where's Buckley? Vale said. Do you have eyes on Buckley? I scanned the scene between the smoke, the monitors, and the gunfire. I tried my best to see if there was anything significantly smaller than the lizards crawling around, but I didn't see anything. I don't see him, I replied. Vale cursed Buckley. Gunner's holding him off, but with that hunting call, there will be more along shortly, so a burst of flames flew at our backs just as Vale finished his sentence. I spotted a monitor behind him and forced his head down to shield it from the flamethrower's ammo. When the stream of hot fire ceased, Vale jumped up, grabbed my hand, and made a run for it. I grabbed a salt bomb from his belt loop and tossed it toward our predator. That was enough of a distraction to give us time to hide around the corner of, the, of a building. We stood side by side with our backs against the wall of the building that separated us from where Fairchild and Gunner were surrounded. Vale took a grenade from his belt and I took one from mine. The shotgun that was strapped across my chest had bounced to my back while we were running. I looked at Vale to make sure he was ready to move. He nodded. I pulled the pin on my grenade and tossed it around the corner of the building that shielded us. In one motion, I flipped the shotgun around from my back to my front, placed my finger on the trigger, and my other hand on the pump. I cocked my first shot and fired it at the dark shadow standing in our way. The kickback from the shot threw me off balance ever so slightly. I cocked the gun a second time and fired again. This time, I planted myself firmly so I could keep my balance. Vale was right there, facing me. He scoured the tops of the nearby buildings for lurkers who may have tried to get the jump on us. I cocked my gun a third time and fired again. All three rounds were at the same figure in front of me. Fairchild screamed off in the distance and Zale called for her. Fairchild yelled back, Zale, over here, Zale! She sounded terrified. Back to back, we moved toward her voice. The smoke was thick and the light fading. The only light we had left was that of the burning fires around us. Zale continued to yell commands to Gunner. Gunner, we're on your six, don't shoot! Finally, in the shadowy billows of smoke, we could make out the two human silhouettes. We broke into sprints to get to them. Then together, the four of us battled. We fought back the monitors for what seemed like forever. We didn't have a moment to breathe, and the fires around us were burning hotter and hotter. The city formerly known as Chicago had been all but charred to the ground by these evil things. We hadn't helped the cause, because as we ran low on ammo for our guns, we had no choice but to use our grenades. I had already used all of my ammo from my shotgun and was now relying on my handgun, which did little more than sting the beast. Both of my hand grenades were gone, and all I had left was one salt bomb, but those typically were better put to use as a distraction than as a deterrent. As long as the salt bomb was attached to me, though, I felt we still had a chance. I fell back behind Zale and Gunner. They were both much better shots. Fairchild was out of ammo, too. She was between Gunner and me. I noticed that Fairchild was bleeding fast and furious from her arm, which she was holding onto with her other hand. Horror came over me at the sight of her blood. I don't know how I imagined that we would all make it out of this unscathed, but I did. Her blood reminded me how grim our situation was and that all of us, she was the most valuable. If she couldn't finish the mission, we were done for. 
I had some medical knowledge from my training with my father, but not enough to reattach her dangling limbs. As Gunner and Zale covered us, I pulled Fairchild back against the brick wall of a nearby structure and sat her on the ground. Her eyes were dazed. She was starting to black out. Fairchild, can you look at me? I asked her to keep her attention. I pulled my satchel off and using a knife from my ankle holster, I cut the straps off of it. I used the straps to wrap her arm to cut off the bleeding. Her blood covered my hands as they trembled. Look at that, Fairchild whispered. She's so beautiful. She was no longer making sense. I looked behind me in the air to see what she was referring to. A board was high up in the air, propped on top of a building across from where we were battling. It was a picture of a woman smiling. I figured it must have been an advertisement that was aging and damaged from the years of neglect. I couldn't read what product was being touted. Isn't she beautiful, Brit? I put my hand on Fairchild's face and turned her to look in my eyes. Yes, she is Fairchild. Can you tell me more about her? All I could think was that I needed to keep her conscious until we could get help. I wondered if there would be help. Realizing we were cornered, miles from safety, running out of defenses, and now with an injured crew member, I started to panic. I stared at Fairchild's face, blood in her frazzled hair, her eyes no longer glowing with excitement. I didn't know what to do. I allowed myself a second to close my eyes and shed a few tears. I swallowed my... I swallowed, opened my eyes, and without any other options, I chose to pray. Help us. I'm asking for help. Please save us. Are you talking to her? Fairchild asked. The poor thing was so discombobulated from the blood loss, she was still rambling on about the woman on the billboard. No, I answered, almost annoyed with her vacancy. I'm not talking to the billboard, Fairchild. Her eyes focused on me, and she scowled in offense. Not the billboard, Brit. Her. She looked past me again into the air and nodded. Cinder. Cinder? I turned quickly, and before I could turn all the way around, a terrible screeching sound found our ears. All of us shuddered at the sound, and without thinking about it, we all dropped what we were doing to cover our ears. I could have sworn that my eardrums had burst. I looked behind me to see a magnificent creature drop down in between us and our predators. Don't shoot, Fairchild yelled with a spurt of excitement. That's Cinder! That's the Cinder Dragon! Sale and Gunner obeyed. They backed up to stand directly in front of Fairchild and me. The Cinder Dragon was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. She outsized the other monitors by twice as much. She must have been 40 feet long at least. Her head was huge. No one had ever seen the cinder dragon this close up before. Her tail was long and graceful as it swayed behind her ominously. She landed on her hind legs with her mighty wings spread behind her. There was no doubt that this was the cinder dragon. Her massive wings made us sure of it. She fell to stand on all four of her feet, holding her wings behind her, and she paced the space between us and the other monitors. She made a hissing sound at the other monitors as they howled at her. I think she's claiming us as her territory, Fairchild spoke quietly. The cinder dragon seemed to draw an imaginary line that the other monitors weren't allowed to cross. Once the others had backed down, she turned her attention to us. We froze. First, she approached Zale. My chest tightened. I couldn't breathe. She came within feet of him, and her long orange tongue slithered out to taste him. Zale stood like a statue. His chest was puffed up, 
was done in his hand, but he held perfectly still. Next, the cinder dragon eyed Gunner. She didn't take nearly as long to examine him. With a swooping motion, she turned to the monitors waiting behind her and screeched again. With the proximity of her powerful lungs, we all forced our hands to our ears again, causing Gunner and Zale to drop their guns. Before I could even open my eyes to see why the cinder dragon had squealed, I heard Fairchild scream. No, 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 Zale shouted. Cinder turned and hissed at him to keep him in his place. She then stepped back to allow one of the monitors to come closer to us. Gunner took a deep breath, and with a quick movement, he reached for his gun on the ground. Before he could get to it, the enclosing monitor jumped on him. From atop his body, the monitor howled a hunting call, and with that, two more monitors jumped on him, shrieking with delight as they ripped him apart one limb at a time. Fairchild shrieked and cried at the sight of it. I grabbed her head and buried her face in my shoulder. I closed my eyes and begged with prayers, Help us! Save us! If you're really up there, help us! The monitors drugged the remains of Gunner's body off. Zale still stood in front of us. He knew better than to reach for his gun, but he didn't move either. I don't understand. They said he doesn't kill humans, Fairchild wailed and shook with fear. I kept praying under my breath, but this time I kept my eyes on the giant dragon's every movement. Unfortunately, this time she came in my direction. Zale remained between us. Her long tongue slithered on the ground between his feet. It searched for me on the ground, leaning up against the wall. I couldn't get away from it. Around Zale's body, I saw her shadow closing in. She stopped as she got right in front of him. She sucked her tongue back in and then reared up on her hind legs again in order to see me directly over top of him. She stared at me with big, yellow eyes. The monitors squealed at her. They were pacing, waiting for her to give them permission to attack. She turned and hissed at them again. She turned back to me. Again, above Zale's head, she focused her attention on me. A howl came from behind her, and one of the larger flame-throwing monitors raced around her side to attack us. With one sweeping motion, she screeched and whipped it back with her tail. She turned to it with rage and hissed. The disobedient monitor crouched in her presence. Then she let out a hunting call, and three of the other monitors pounced on the disobedient counterpart. She watched, we watched as they feasted on one of their own. The cinder dragon didn't waste any time returning to her examination of us. This time, she inspected Fairchild. Just as before with Gunner, it took only a second to decide that Fairchild was not worth saving. She let out a final screech, and as the monitor Monitors waiting behind her started forward toward Fairchild. Zale and I covered her with our bodies and shouted in unison, No! Fairchild belted out a blood-curdling scream. She knew what the cinder dragon was going to allow the monitors to do. Why she had protected Zale and I was beyond us, but we weren't going to let poor sweet Fairchild end up like Gunner. Fairchild did all she could to shield herself from the dragon's sight, using Zale and I as her cover. No, please, she isn't going to hurt you, I pled with Cinder, like I expected her to somehow understand me. Zale was about to grab his gun. I knew that if he did, we were all going to end up like Gunner. I also knew that handing Fairchild over wasn't an option, so begging was our only chance of survival. She's already hurt. Look how scared she is. Don't do this, I screamed at the monitor, cautiously closing in on us, step by step. Cinder Dragon hissed. I wasn't sure if it was at me or the other monitors. She hissed again. This time I knew it was at me. I knew she was warning me to back down. I shook as I stood in her presence. She's just a kid, I spoke softly to her. 
The cinder dragon stared me down, breathing heavily for what felt like a full minute. Finally, she hissed at the other monitors and they howled in contempt. She hissed again and with, the and with that, the monitors backed down. The monitors retreated into the dark, leaving us alone with the cinder dragon. She stretched out her tongue one last time towards Fairchild. She directed it to Fairchild's bleeding arm, as though she was trying to taste her blood. The cinder dragon moved in closer. Fairchild whimpered with fear. Dale and I moved to let the cinder dragon see Fairchild enter room. I wasn't sure why I felt like I could trust her, but she'd demonstrated mercy. The cinder dragon sucked her tongue back in. With a quick movement, she reached back and sunk her teeth into her own tail. She let out a wail of pain for the wound she had just inflicted on herself. I saw the blood gush from her tail, and I watched silently, confused. What in the world is she doing? Dale whispered. The tail of the cinder dragon glided through the air. It swirled as though it had a mind of its own. The tail came closer to us, and just as her tongue had done seconds before, her tail now stretched out to touch Fairchild's arm. Cinder dragon's blood flowed out onto Fairchild. It poured out of the cinder's tail and covered Fairchild's head and shoulders. Fairchild cried as she wiped the blood off of her face and out of her eyes and her mouth. She squirmed with discomfort. She was in shock by now, I was sure of it. When the cinder dragon pulled her tail back, she came face to face with me again. She stared me down with her yellow eyes, and then she slowly backed up and disappeared into the smoke. We had very little light to see, so we opted to leave our tree hammocks behind and find closer shelter for rest and recovery. We chose a building full of apartments, floor upon floor of them. We managed to carry a completely unconscious fair child in our belongings to the fourth floor of the building. We chose a room with a view of the surrounding area for our hideout. We wanted to be as far from the ground as we could get so as to avoid any more surprises. We needed to collect ourselves and start again, this time two men down. Gunner was dead, and Buckley was MIA. We hoped that when Fairchild regained consciousness, she might be able to shed some light on where Buckley disappeared to, but until then, we had no choice but to sit and wait. The condition of the hideout was shabby at best, but it offered us two rooms, one with a bed where we laid Fairchild. I used clean water from our remaining bottles to clean her and her wounds. I was surprised to see that the bleeding had almost stopped completely when I removed the straps from my satchel that I had applied earlier. As I washed away the blood on her face and in her hair, I thought of how our bounty for this mission was now dried on poor Fairchild's body. I was sitting here with the cinder dragon's blood dried on me, and I knew that we would not serve the mission's purpose. We were so close to getting what we needed, and now we had no choice but to turn back. Survival was our mission now. I dressed her wound with a clean smock I tucked into my bag. I then reattached the bloody straps back onto my satchel so that I could carry it over my shoulder once again. Fairchild moaned and tossed her head from side to side. She must have been reliving it all, her face twisted with anguish and fear. No, I don't want to, no, Fairchild moaned. A tear came to my eye to think of how her mind had her trapped. I stroked her hair off of her forehead and whispered to her, It's okay. Okay. Fairchild rustled for a few more seconds and then returned to her comatose state. I stood up and left her to rest. I closed the door behind us as I stepped out into the main part of the living quarters. 
We had a few flashlights to use inside the dimly lit residence, but Dale felt we should reserve them. I was grateful that the moon shone bright enough to have some natural light through the windows. While I tended to Fairchild, Dale started a small fire in the fireplace in the main part of the apartment. The warmth of it was refreshing. Dale sat with his back to me facing the fire. He was reloading the gun she'd retrieved from the vehicle after the confrontation with Cinder. Buck, we better show by daylight or we're leaving them, Dale said begrudgingly. We have to start back tomorrow. I'll give Buckley till then. I wasn't sure if Dale was talking to himself or me. He didn't look up at me. I could tell that he was furious with the results of the day. I was too, so I didn't say anything. I crossed the room behind him. Dale continued, What was that? I don't get it. I didn't respond. I retrieved some water from my satchel to clean up with. I didn't have a towel or cloth, so I removed my overshirt, wet it down, and wiped my face. I couldn't help but cry quietly as I cleaned up. I was so emotionally and physically exhausted, I couldn't even begin to think about what Dale was questioning. He didn't notice me. I found myself in a mirror on the wall in the main room. I welcomed the dark because I had no desire to see my reflection clearly. I worried what, what it would accurately depict my desperation and overwhelming stress. My hands trembled as I reached up to my face with the damp shirt and wiped away the blood and dirt. I hyper-focused on a stain of blood on my cheek. I wanted it off of my skin. I convinced myself that I could smell death on me and it made me nauseous. I knew the blood wasn't my own and the thought of its true owner made me shiver. As I stared in the mirror, my mind started racing with memories of the same thought that had mystified me only weeks prior, the day I found the tooth that had blood on me and didn't know the source. My mind flashed back to the images of my reflection with the blood stains on my face and blue smock. In the weeks since, I tried to remember what had happened while I was on the farming mission that day, but I couldn't remember anything beyond getting hit in the head with something and blacking out. A flash came to me of the cinder dragon's tail scouring Fairchild with blood. I reached up and felt my head where the blood stain was on my own skull just weeks before. I thought hard and long trying to piece it together. Behind me, Dale sat by the fire cursing Buckley's absence, Fairchild's wound, and Gunner's death. He seemed like he was trying to piece it together, too. Suddenly, a burst of energy shot through my body, and I rushed to the room where Fairchild was sleeping. Dale took notice and followed me. Bridge? I hurried to the side of Fairchild's bed and quickly started unraveling the dressings of her wounds that I had just set in place. What are you doing? Dale asked, confused. When I finished unwrapping them, I smiled to myself. My intonation was right. Look! He came alongside of me and looked down on Fairchild. He gasped. I don't understand. That's not possible. It is possible. I've seen it myself. This is why they sent us here. This is what we're here for. I marveled at Fairchild's missing wound for a second longer before saying aloud, Something's in her blood. The cinder dragon's blood heals.
this fire 